I'm sorry to have to tell you, but it's cancer. It's lung cancer, breast cancer, leukemia. I'm sorry, it's heart disease. It's MS. It's lupus. It's Alzheimer's. It's ALS. It's insert any dread disease in the blank. Some of us have heard those words spoken to us by a doctor or maybe spoken to a, to a husband or wife, spoken to one of our parents or one of our children, to a friend or a co-worker, and there is very little else that can throw our world into a complete tailspin than bad test results or devastating diagnosis. Disease, sometimes even the thought of it, can create fear and confusion in our lives at a level that is untouched by almost anything else. And the thing is, the chances are really high that it's going to happen to us, that we or someone in our family, our social network, is going to come face to face with illness, sickness, and disease. And I want to know, if it's not happening right now in your life, it is hollow comfort that such things only seem to happen to other people because we know, don't we? Deep down, we know that our time's coming, that we will face disease someday. And that knowledge can break us. We're continuing a series of messages called Unbreakable, standing strong when things go wrong. And, you know, disease, illness is certainly, obviously, something that goes wrong in our lives. But how will we respond? How do we respond? How can we face illness, disease, with faith instead of fear? With faith instead of falling apart? How can we, in the face of disease, have faith that is unbreakable? As we begin today, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to participate with me today. Uh, I want you to get your your message uh, notes page out. It's in your bulletin that you were given. If you weren't given one, there are probably some extras uh, on the tables back there. So if you don't have one and you want one, just wave your hand up in the air. And and then you're going to need a Connect card too. So if you grab your Connect card. And then you're going to need something to write with. Uh, There are pens in the pockets on the back of seats nearby where you're sitting. You may have to dig down in there to find one. But here's my my promise to you today. If you'll have these things at hand and be ready to take notes during this message, then that that will maximize your experience of what we're going to talk about today. And in fact, it can maximize how you are affected, how you respond in the days and the years to come. Now, don't think for a minute that the irony of this situation is lost on me, that I am preaching about disease on my 50th birthday. Don't think that I didn't think about that. And then there's just this whole series. I mean, yeah, Pastor Scott, let's see. Last week we talked about doubt. Today we're talking about disease. Uh, What's coming next? Depression and destruction? Well, it depends. (laughs) The truth is, We all face it. It's reality. It's where we live. And so I I want to begin today with the bottom line. 
every other point that I'm going to make today is true because this is true. Listen carefully. It's in your notes. God is everything we will ever need. God is everything we will ever need. He's everything we will ever need. Whatever chaos, whatever insecurity we are facing right now. And maybe it's not an illness. Some of you may have already tuned me out, okay, because you said, I'm not sick. Nobody in my family's sick. You know, I can doodle on the bulletin during this one. I don't have to pay attention to that. Maybe it's not an illness. It can be any other problem that we're facing in a relationship, in our finances, on our job, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. The principles are the same. No matter what we are facing today, it is my prayer that every one of us will leave this building today with the absolute confidence that God is everything we will ever need. And here's why that truth can radically change our lives. That's why can, here's how it can make a radical difference. God knows everything. He owns everything. He can do anything. And He loves us perfectly. Now let that sink in for a moment. God knows everything. He owns everything. He can do anything. And He loves us perfectly. Man, there is some assurance in that. There, that's a game changer when sickness strikes or when a situation goes south. So to help us unpack that and understand how to, to face disease or any other distress, I, I want us to look at, at some lives of some Bible people. I actually have a couple different things that I, I hope to be able to, to pull together, and we'll see, we'll see if it works by the time we're done. There are just many, many people in the Bible who are faced with insecurity and chaos in their lives. You know, the history of medical science being what it is, there's not very many people we can point to in Scripture and say, well, they faced a long period of disease or illness or, or sickness. But we, can, we do see people over and over in Scripture who faced distressing, difficult situations. And looking at how they responded, understanding how God revealed Himself to them can help us learn how to face disease and distress with unbreakable faith. Let's start with Moses. Most of us are probably, we have a passing familiarity with him, even if you're not a church person. Maybe you went to Sunday school when you were a kid or went to vacation Bible school, or we've seen a couple of movies maybe about him. Ten Commandments is on TV every year. It was on a couple of weeks ago. Prince of Egypt, that's Disney's animated version of Moses' life, early life anyway. We want to pick up this story in, a, in an encounter that Jesus has with God himself while he is tending sheep in the middle of the wilderness while his people are still slaves in Egypt. They're still in bondage in Egypt. And so Moses is hanging out with the sheep. And one day he sees a bush that is on fire. It's burning, but it's not being burned up. And that makes him kind of curious. And so he goes to investigate. And when he walks over to investigate, the bush starts talking to him. Now that's different. But not only that, it turns out that it's God talking to him through the burning bush. And God tells Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and get my people out of there. This is not what Moses wanted to hear. Because the last time he was in Egypt, he had killed a guy. And the authorities were looking for him. So let's pick up, as you might imagine, his, um, the fact that he wasn't very enthusiastic about going means that he pushed back. 
on God just a little bit. He, he had some protests and some excuses, and I want to look at one of those because we, it reveals something very important to us about God. It's found in Exodus chapter 3. Now, we're going to kind of be bouncing around various scriptures today. Um, if you have a Bible with you and you want to look those up, that's great. They're going to all be on the screen, but you definitely want to make note of them in your, in your message notes so that you can read those passages of scripture later on. But in Exodus chapter 3, Verses 13 and 14, we find Moses protesting. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says, you go tell them, my name is I am. Now, if I'm Moses, I expect that there's more to that sentence, right? I want a little bit more information, okay? I am what? I am. It doesn't, that's, that's not enough information. Help me out here, God. And see, the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language. And in the Hebrew language, the phrase that we translate I am is actually God's personal name. And depending on the translation that you're looking at, it will say Yahweh or it will say Jehovah. That means I am. Now, to try to put this in perspective, to help us get our heads around this, because this is going to be important going forward. Sometimes we describe God using omni words. Omni is, a, is Latin for all. And so we say that, that God is omnipotent. We talked about this last week, that he has all potency, he has all strength and all power. Or we'll say that God is omnipresent, that means he's all present, he's present everywhere, all the time. We'll say that he's omniscient, that means he has all knowledge, that he knows everything. And, and as a result, God cannot accurately say that he's just any one thing. And so he says, I am, and that takes in everything. I am everything. Remember, God is everything we will ever need. I am everything. So when we say, God, I need, and then whatever it is, God, I need, I am. I need, I am. All through the Bible, we find that God uses His name to reveal things to us about his character, about how he works and what he does, by combining his name and his attributes. And in those specific names, we can find how to respond to disease and distress with unbreakable faith. Remember, it's not because of who we are or what we've done. It's because of who God is and what he is doing and has done. So let's take a look at him. In your notes page, let's look at the first way that God reveals himself to us in a way that helps us know how to respond to disease and distress. When we are afraid, we can trust God to calm us. When we're afraid, we can trust God to calm us. A couple of weeks ago, we, we made the point that, that fear is one of the most common human emotions, that all of us are afraid of something in some way on some level. And certainly when illness and disease or when, uh, you know, difficulty comes in our lives, fear is a natural response. 
In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Gideon. And if you've ever heard of Gideon, you may know that he defeated a huge invading army with just a, a relatively few men. In fact, he started out with an army of 32,000. Now, that's a lot of people, a lot of soldiers. I'm sure he felt really good about that. 32,000 people to go to war, that's a pretty good number. But God said, it's too many. And God said, I tell you what you do, tell them that if they're afraid, they can go home. Now, we've seen enough, we've seen enough war movies, right? Uh, we, we know enough about this to know that you know, the leader stands up in front of the people and says, if any of you are afraid, you can walk right out that door. But nobody ever does. Right? They stand firm and say, no, we're with you. We're going to fight to the end. We are not afraid. And so Gideon stood up in front of his army of 32,000 people and said, if any of you are afraid, and 22,000 of them beat feet right out the door as fast as they could go. 22,000 of them. I mean, he blinks his eyes and his, his, his army is cut by two-thirds. 10,000 people he's got left. Okay, 10,000. That's not, you know, 32,000 was a good number. But 10,000, that's a pretty healthy army. It's a pretty good size. I wish I had some of those back. But you know, if they're afraid, maybe they needed to go home anyway. We've got 10,000 left. And God says, it's too many. It's too many. Here's what you do. Take them down to the water. And tell them to get a drink. And the ones who get down on a knee and cup the water in their hands and drink, you keep them. Now, why keep them? Because they're ready and prepared, right? They're in a state of preparedness. Drinking the water does not prevent them from seeing what's going on around them. God says the ones that get down on all fours and lap the water up like a dog, you send them home. 9,700 of them got down on all fours and lapped the water up like a dog. Don't you? That was a bad day for Gideon. Don't you know he was like, oh, no, 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 oh God. I needed you. So he's left with 300 men. 1% of what he started with. Do I need to tell you that Gideon was afraid? He was afraid. In fact, when the whole thing started, when God first comes to Gideon and Gideon realizes that it's God and realizes that God is leading him to war, he's terrified. And here's what God said to him. It's found in Judges chapter 6. Gideon's story is in Judges 6, 7, and 8. You really ought to read that sometime. But in Judges chapter 6, verse 23, here's what God says to Gideon. It is all right. The Lord replied, it's I. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah, your peace. I am your peace. I am peace. God is our peace. Now, don't miss this. Because right after Gideon builds this altar to Jehovah Shalom, I am your peace, God immediately tells him to go to war. Isn't that something? God says, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I am your peace. Now, let's go to war. 
And that sounds strange to us because we don't understand fully what peace is. So listen carefully. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of conflict or struggle or difficulty. Peace is the absence of anxiety in the midst of trouble and struggle and difficulty. We need God for that. Last week we said it's easy to have faith on the mountaintop. But it's much more difficult to have faith in the valley. And man, you know, I, I wish I could tell you that I've faced every dark and difficult time in my life with unbreakable faith but it'd be a lie because there have been times in my life when I have been terrified of what was going to happen, of what was going on. Well, you a pastor. Yeah. And I spend a lot of my time teaching and counseling others to have faith, but let me tell you what I've learned. When our life is most out of control, God is still in control. In fact, He's always in control. Sometimes He lets us think we're in control. But it's just not true. When our lives are out of control, He is in control. Somebody here needed to hear that. I believe that there's somebody here struggling with fear. Somebody is struggling with anxiety that is so overwhelming, it's affecting the way that you live. It's keeping you up at night. When the house is dark and everybody else is asleep, you're laying awake in bed because of your fear and your anxiety. What is it? What is that fear? What are you stressed and anxious and afraid about? I mean, we're talking about disease today, but it doesn't have to be that. What's your source of deepest concern right now? Here's what I know. If we will go to God, Jehovah, I am, He will become for us Jehovah Shalom. I am your peace. If, if we can trust and believe and know, and know, know that we know that we know that God knows everything, that He owns everything, that He can do anything, and that He loves us completely, then when we're afraid, we can turn to God and trust Him with calm and peace. Here's the second way that God reveals Himself to us in a way that shows us how to respond to disease and distressed. When we're confused, we can trust God to guide us. When we're confused, we can trust God to guide us. Man, there's, there's nothing like illness, facing disease, facing some huge problem, some unexpected crisis to make us lose our way, to disorient us, to get us off track, to make us feel like we don't know what to do or where to go or where to turn, what decisions to make. And nobody knew that better than King David. King David of David and Goliath fame. He lived a life well acquainted with struggle and turmoil, some of it by his own hand, some of it because of things he had done or not done, but sometimes because of the actions of others. He had lived a life of struggle. He spent years of his life being pursued by a king named Saul. The prophet of God had gone to Saul and said, David is going to replace you. He's going to take your place as king. Saul thought, I can prevent that by taking him out. And so Saul and his armies pursued David for years. He was a general, David was. He was a warrior. He fought in 
many bloody pitched battles, saw men fall at his right and his left. After he became king, he struggled with sin. He was an adulterer. He was an accessory to murder. The the woman he was having an affair with, he arranged for her husband to be killed so that they could be together. He, He lost a child in infancy. He lost another son in battle as that son led a rebellion against him. Very acquainted with struggle and difficulty. But he was also a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible calls him. A man after God's own heart. Because he understood. He he expressed truth so beautifully. He wrote many of the Psalms, which was the the worship songbook of the day. He wrote a lot of those Psalms. And in a very familiar passage of Scripture, all of us have probably heard it multiple times. David wrote this in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the name there is Jehovah Reah. I am your shepherd. I am your shepherd. And understand this. The shepherd has total responsibility and total care for the sheep. Every aspect. Every aspect of their being and their existence is in his hands. He feeds them. He protects them. And a large part of that involves leading them and guiding them. In fact, in Psalm 23, David says that the shepherd leads the sheep to pastures full of green grass so they can eat. He says that the the shepherd leads the sheep to waters where they can drink. He says that the shepherd leads the sheep down the right path. And God says to us, I am your shepherd. I want to guide you. I want to lead you. You can turn to me when you don't know what to do. When you don't know where to go. So how does God guide us? That's a series of messages in itself. I could, uh, you hang around long enough, I probably will preach that series. But the condensed version of it is this. He guides us through his word, the Bible. There is very little that we will go through in life, very little that we will encounter, very little difficulty that we will have that we cannot find someone who went through something similar in the pages of Scripture and see how they responded, how God worked in their lives, what it took for them to get back on track. The answers are in here. And there's just an awful lot of of trouble and turmoil and struggle that we could avoid if we just do what the book says. He guides us through His Word. He guides us through good Bible preaching and teaching. Man, I hope some of you get that somewhere. Um, He guides us through good Bible preaching and teaching. He guides us through the counsel of friends. He guides us through people who love God, who are learning His Word, and who care about us and want to help us when we're struggling, when we're confused. And I just got to tell you, that's why I think life groups are so important. That's why, you know, I always feel like the people that aren't involved in life groups are kind of missing out. Because it's an opportunity to be around other people who love God, who are learning His Word, and who want to help others. Who want to share out of their life and their experience to help other people. We start signing up for life groups next Sunday. 
And I just strongly encourage everybody to get in one. Because sooner or later, sooner or later, every one of us is going to come to a moment in life where we don't know what to do. Where we are out of options. We don't know where to go. And we want God to show us, don't we? We want God to show us, and He will. He'll show us through His Word. He'll show us through the advice of people who know Him, who love Him, who are learning His Word. And we can miss that if we're going solo, if we're trying to do this on our own. If we're not in a group, if we're not in around, uh, around people that He can use to reveal Himself to us as His shepherd and as a guide. When we're confused, we can trust God to guide us. There's another way God reveals Himself to us that can show us how to respond when facing disease and distress. When we're sick, we can trust God to heal us. When we're sick, we can trust God to heal us. That seems a little obvious in a message about disease, doesn't it? I want to make sure that you know this. I want to make sure we're 100% clear on this. There's no room for negotiation, no, uh, no wiggle room here. I believe in miracles. Amen. I believe that God can and does heal us from sickness and disease. I, I mean, think about it. God has built into our bodies, built into His creation, a miraculous power called recuperation. You've seen it at work if you've ever had a, a wound or an injury, right? And you've watched that skin come back together and scab over and then the, the scab, you know, goes away and there's that pretty fresh pink skin and pretty soon it all kind of fades in so it looks like the rest of our skin. That's the miracle of recuperation that God has built into our bodies. What's more, the Bible says that part of what Jesus did on the cross was heal us. It says, by His stripes... By, by what was done to him on the cross, we are healed. And in fact, unless I'm sick right now, and I don't know it, I've been healed 100% of the time. You have too, unless you're sick and don't know it. We've got a 100% track record of healing from God. Isn't that amazing? But now I need to say this. We have to trust God to heal in the way that He believes is best. That's so important. We have to trust God to heal in the way He believes is best. When I was preparing for this, I was thinking about some of the loved ones that we have lost. And I, you know, some New Hope people or those who are connected to, to New Hope. I, I thought about people like Virgil Gray, and Bev Angle, Wayne Lambert. And Denise Kaley, and Judy Hughes, Kathy Tyson, Kim Rowan. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for God to heal those people. Most of them, I held their hands myself and prayed for God to heal them. And they died. Every one of them. But we prayed for God to heal them. He did. He did. 
God answered our prayers. He healed them. He healed them permanently because right now, every one of those folks is in heaven with Jesus and they are experiencing the fullness of joy that can only come in the presence of God. And they are absolutely and completely healthy and they will be forever. Yes. Every one of us who is physically healed on this earth is only healed temporarily. That's what was, has been done for me. That's what has been done for you if you've been sick and recovered. God has healed us temporarily because we're still going to die one of these days. But in the meantime, we need to turn to God and ask Him to heal us. When God had first delivered his people from slavery in Egypt and they were just starting out on their journey to the land that he had promised to them, he told them this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. God said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. And God's name right there is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, I am your healer. I am your healer. God wants to heal us. Sometimes, for some of us, it will be temporary. For others of us, it will be permanent. But it's part of who our God is and how He wants to work in our lives so that when we are sick, we can trust God to heal us. There's one more way we can see how God has revealed Himself so that we can respond to disease and distress. We're going to look at that in just a moment, but I want to insert something here, something that I think can help us, can benefit us as much or maybe more than anything else that we will talk about today. Just consider it a free tip, okay? You ready for this earth-shaking, life-changing tip? Memorize Scripture. Now, don't tune me out just yet. I mean, somebody's going, memory verses? Come on, what are you? Are we in the you know, first and second grade class in Sunday school again? Listen to me for just a second. None of us knows when disease or distress is going to hit. We just don't know. But when it does hit, there is nothing that can help us as much as being able to fix our thoughts, fix our mind, and meditate on the words of Scripture. But what if you don't have a Bible? Well, I'll look it up on my phone. What if your phone's dead? Right? Or you don't have your phone. What are you going to do? You need to be able to call something to mind. Something more than Jesus wept and John 3.16. Those are great verses. But we need a little something more. So if you look on the back of your message notes, there's a memory verse there. And today I want to challenge every single one of us to commit that verse to memory. To be able to recall it to our minds without having to look at it, without reading it anywhere. Because I'm convinced that it can help us. I mean, what if we took that challenge seriously? What if we just said, you know what, for the next year, every time I go through a difficulty, every time I go through a problem, whether it's big or small, I'm going to meditate on this verse. I'm going to fix my mind on it, fix my thoughts on it before I react to my situation. I just got to think if we do that, things would change for us. It's right there. We're going to look at it and read it out loud together in just a moment, okay? 
It's up on the screen if you, you don't have a notes page. It's found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I want you to, to read this together with me. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Read it with me, please. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you'll take that challenge, if you'll memorize this scripture, then I want you to let me know about it, okay? And so on the back of your Connect card, I'm going to ask you just right up top here, just write, memorize James 1, 2 through 4. And just let me know about that so that I can pray for you and support you as you're doing that. What, what could life be like a year from now if we decided to respond to everything that comes into our lives with that truth? Man, what could it be like? Well, there's one more way that God has revealed himself that we want to look at this morning that can help us know how to respond to disease and distress. Right there in your notes. It says when we're facing death, we can trust God to save us. They are the words that we dread if we're facing illness and disease. I'm sorry. There's nothing more we can do. I'm sorry. All we can really do is try to make you comfortable. I'm very sorry to have to tell you that your disease is terminal. I don't know who said it. I know I've heard it in multiple places, but somebody once said, the reality is that life is a terminal disease. <laughs> We're all facing death. Every single one of us is, is going to die. Boy, Pastor, I'm always glad I come here. It's such an upbeat message and you make me feel so good. I got to tell you the truth because I love you. Anything less than the truth is not going to do us any good. We just don't know how much time we have. We, we know that we're all facing death. But we also know this, that we're going to spend a whole lot more time on that side of death than we are on this side. On this side, we're going to get 70, 80, 90 years, maybe if we're fortunate, 100 years. But we're going to spend eternity on the other side of death. And if you've heard me preach very much, you may have heard me ask this question before. How foolish would we be to go all through life totally unprepared for something we knew was inevitable? It just doesn't make any sense. To know that someday we're going to die and not be prepared for it. Because folks... This is going to happen for every single one of us. We are going to step through the door from this side of eternity to the other. And we're going to stand before a perfect, holy, righteous God. And one of two things is going to happen. Some of us will be standing there with all of our sins. With everything we've ever done wrong with all of our wrong choices and our tragic mistakes, all the lies we've told, 
all the selfishness that consumed our life, all the greed, all the lustful thoughts. We'll be standing there having gone our own way and done our own thing. And in that moment, we will understand that God cannot let us into heaven because that would mess up everything. Heaven is perfect, and if He allowed sin to come in, it would not be perfect anymore. It would not be heaven. It would cease to be. And we will understand that God cannot, as a holy, perfect, righteous being, have a relationship with people who are sinful and imperfect. That's one thing that could happen, or that will happen. The other thing that will happen is that some of us will step through that door to the other side of eternity and God is going to be there to welcome us to heaven, to be with Him forever. He's going to receive us into His embrace for all of eternity. And that will happen because we will not be standing there with our sin and our shame. We will be standing before God just as righteous as Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah chapter 23... God speaks to His people through the prophet. And He says this. It's in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be His name. The Lord is our righteousness. Now this is a tough one. Since the name of God here is Jehovah Sidkenu. If you can say the word let's, the last sound there, let's, that's how you pronounce it, Sidkenu. It means I am your righteousness. That's God saying to us, I am your righteousness. Now watch how God connects this directly to you and me. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Now, it may be that you're here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ. He's inviting you today to come to Him, to be forgiven, to be able to stand before Him one day in the righteousness of Jesus. You see, the Bible says that every one of us has sinned. We've all gone our own way. And the Bible says that that choice has earned us a fate. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and payday is coming someday. And what we deserve because of our sin is death, not just physical death, but death as in separation from God for all eternity. But because of His love and because of His mercy and because God was unwilling to live without us, He did everything He had to do to get us to where He is. He became a man in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And His Son, Jesus, took our place. He died in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. And now He offers us forgiveness because He paid the price for our sins. And i got to say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, 
you need to understand. I don't, this is not meant to be cruel. This is, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or ashamed, but there's a reality here that I need to share, that I am compelled to share as a minister of the gospel. And that is the things that we've been talking about today in the previous two weeks, these three messages about having unbreakable faith, having a life that is unbreakable. You can't have that if you're not a follower of Jesus. You can't access that. These, these principles, these ideas of having an unbreakable life don't apply to those who are not followers of Jesus. The first step, the first step to having a life that's unbreakable, the first step to being able to face any disease, any distress that might crop up in our lives is to turn to God and say, I believe it. I believe it. I believe that Jesus came to earth as a man and died in my place for my sins. In fact, God, I do more than believe it with my mind. I am now willing to put all of my trust in the fact that that is true. Because it's true, I'm willing to turn my life and control of my life over to you and to your control, God. I'm willing to let Jesus be in charge, my Lord, my Savior. That's how life becomes unbreakable. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.